0: Moving Iron. Hello, and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 223. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Tractor Zoom, delivering insights. If you're looking to see what's going on in the auction market, Tractor Zoom has a product called Iron Comps, and it's a great place to track what's going on in the auction markets and see trend lines develop because they get information from about 500 different independent auction houses. And uh, nothing scrubbed, so everything that you get there is fresh from the uh, from the auction market. So if you're checking out um, iron comps and you want to move forward with that, use Moving Iron at checkout and you get yourself a sweet discount. Today my guest is Ray Bohax, and Ray is the hot rod farmer. You probably see him on uh, about all over the place because Ray's a busy man. Ray's got a uh, show on XM Radio 147 Rural Radio called Farm Machine You Digest Radio. He also has a podcast called... Idle Chatter podcast, and you hear him on the Moving Iron podcast with these uh, bushels and scents. So, Ray, welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey, well, thank you, thank you so much, Casey, for having me on. It's an honor, and I greatly appreciate the opportunity to connect with your audience today.
0: Yeah, Ray, Ray's uh, Ray, and I've Ray's been on the podcast once before, and you know, Ray and I've had a, a working relationship here for the past a uh, couple of years or so, and and you know, we kind of hit each other up from time to time about what's going on and. And uh, I thought Ray would be a good person to have come on and talk about what is happening in the marketplace right now with uh, Right to Repair. So before we get to that part, Ray, why don't you give just a, a brief background of who you are and, and, and kind of what your history is in in the automotive business and the agriculture business and, and all these different things and, and kind of how we why, why I have you on the podcast and I'll talk about Right to Repair.
1: Okay, certainly. I thank you for that. Uh, Basically, I've grown up with two passions in my life, both agriculture and and the automobile industry, specifically engines. And uh, we have a farm in New Jersey with sweet corn growers, so that's where I got the the dirt under my fingernails, but I also got the grease under my fingernails because I love cars and love machinery of all types. And my uh, dream was to become... You know, the dream of a young boy is it has no boundaries. So my dream was to become a mechanical engineer in Detroit working for an auto company and some, and also be a farmer and run our family farm. Uh, like I say, a young boy doesn't recognize the fact that that's 650 miles apart and there's no way that could <laughs> <Right>. physically happen. <laughs> right. But uh, we don't let details ruin dreams. But anyway, <clears throat> what I did is I pursued a degree in engineering and, stay, and due to family circumstances, had to, could not go to Detroit, and and remained on the family farm. And <clears throat> me, I also got involved with building drag race engines, and that's why I call myself the hot rod farmer. And then I worked for a number of years in the auto industry. When I was in college, I worked in a Buick dealership, and I did all of what we would call. Or what the industry called the car industry called drivability problems. So, and I was, me, was able to come on board with the early engine management systems, which really is the precursor to everything that we see today on on advanced farm equipment, be it Tier Four or some sort of control logic. And I was able to to, to work in that segment. And I got a job when I graduated college and stayed on the farm. but got a, what we call excuse, excuse me. <coughs> and it, in town job, and I got a job with an oscilloscope manufacturer and emissions analyzer a company called Allen Test Products, and I became a training instructor and technical demonstrator. So my whole career path in the automobile industry was basically in a, in engine, what we call engine management systems, and that is, like I said, it's the precursor to everything you find on modern farm equipment. And then I got involved with magazine writing, and I was writing for Car career for 23 years. I've been writing for car magazines. And then also I saw a need to bring what I called automotive style articles and education to the agricultural community because the agricultural community did a very good job as far as agronomy, farm succession, marketing, but they were very weak as far as teaching the farmer about their machinery. I'm, I'm not talking about how to drive it. I'm talking about the mechanics of how it works. So I got involved with Successful Farming Magazine I was writing for them for a number of years and was on their TV show, but they frustrated me because they really didn't see the value in educating the farmer um, more than just giving him enough to get in trouble. So that was the impetus for me to start my Farm Machinery Digest website, which is basically all educational, and my Idle Chatter podcast. And then just this past January, I was recognized by series X and Rural Radio, uh, to bring my show onto their network. And that's and through the podcast world that's how I I met you as you said in before but interesting enough like this industry we've talked we've been on each other's show but we never met each other
0: so yeah exactly it's, right it's, that's it's, exactly you know, right if, yep. uh, uh, you know if uh, if i sat on a plane
1: next day i wouldn't know who you are <laughs> and, uh, unless i recognize your voice
0: yeah that that's exactly the truth that's i have a lot of friends in the world that are like that that i know very well but i i don't know that i could pick them out in a crowd so it's a it's definitely a, a small world ray all right, man. Well, let's let's jump into this. This is a, uh, a hot button issue across the uh, across the industry as a whole. And as you step back and take a look at what's going on, okay. Um, and go ahead. I'm going
1: to forewarn your audience okay. is that I have, and I say it humbly. I think I have a unique. Perspective on this simply because I come from the auto industry, and all of this—this this right to repair, the engine management systems, the control logics—and obviously on a piece of farm equipment, you have other things other than engine management. We, this is nothing new to the car, and is nothing new to the car industry. And to tell you the truth, uh, anything that you could go, you could see the most advanced. I'll use combine sprayer, farm tractor, whatever something with an engine uh, that's in the agricultural community, that technology we had 40 years ago in the car industry. The only thing that the car industry didn't have was auto steer, but everything else. So people think that this is really new technology. It's not new technology. It's new being implemented to the agricultural community. So if, so everything that we have, a matter of fact, even most of the connectors that are used on modern farm equipment, other than a, a CAN bus connector, are are. Base- are Delco Design Connectors. That's why they say PED on them, which was the Packard Electronic Division of General Motors. So this comes all from the car industry. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and forth between the two communities because it really is the proper segue. And so I want to establish to the audience right now is that number one, I am 110% for the right to repair, but I will put a caveat on that as, as we progress. And the other thing I want to establish. Is that and i 'm speaking loudly, there is no bad guy in this? the farmer is not the bad guy the, the, the farm equipment manufacturer is not the bad guy, the dealer is not the bad guy there 's no bad guy here, and in today 's world, the news media tries to divide us, mm-hmm. and there 's no reason for being for this division. there is no bad guy here it 's just a new technology there's new there 's new capabilities, and we all have to sort this out but I'm gonna ask you a question, Casey. Okay. Because of your association with the industry, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but what and I cannot glean this from anybody. <laughs> what are the expectations of those that are pushing for right to repair?
0: You know, <clears throat> that's a good question because when when you when you step back and look at what they're asking for, um, everything that they're asking for, when you listen to any news media or any bill that gets presented or anything like that, that they that that's not available. That they you know they keep asking for. It's all available. Diagnostic equipment is available. There's uh, service advisor. You can you can get that and that that you can plug that into your to your John Deere piece of equipment and it'll it'll tell you everything that's wrong with your machine. It'll tell you diagnostic codes, read codes, all those kind of things. Um, so those, those, those tools are available. Um, to me, I think it's more of a, uh, I think altering the performance of the machine, um, is, is a bigger underlying issue that I think, um, that I think people that are uh, very big advocates for this are looking for. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the only piece of the puzzle that that's really not available out there, you know, turning up engines and changing shift points and transmissions and, um, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, you, there's so much stuff you can do if, if you understand how, how to manage those codes and, and and change the code inside the processors on the machine. So um, to me, it's it's not so much I want to be able to diagnose my machine, it's it's I want to be able to, you know, change the performance of my machine, change my 300 horsepower tractor to a 400 horsepower tractor. I think that's the underlying issue there when, when, when I read between the lines, because, what they're asking for is available.
1: I agree with you a thousand percent. The thing is that, yes, there's, and you know, there are so many, right now, there are so many different scan tools, uh, diesel laptop, J Pro, right. what have you, that will, will enable you to certain levels access well, at least the engine and a lot of the subsystems on the engine and what I would the subsystems, which like, which I would call it the, the combine, the header controls, whatever, sprayer, mm-hmm. what have you. So those, so so when I stand back and I look at this, and I and I agree with you, is to say, okay, what's all this hubbub about? Because this technology, this ability, is available, but the 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 availability comes with a price tag. Right. And if you would, and if you were to look for instance, and if you have, diff, let's say you're a fairly large farm and you have a couple of semis to haul grain at a tier, I'm going to say all tier four, not pump line nozzle stuff that this can't integrate with, and you have a couple of semis and you have a mixed fleet of different color equipment, well, you're probably going to end up spending six to $9,000 on my rough estimate, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little more, to be able to integrate with all of that equipment as far as now... I'm going back to the car industry, what and what what happens is that you'll have an we'll call it an ECU. In the auto industry we used to call it an ECF engine management control mm-hmm. module, but now since it controls other things, we'll call it an ECU, an electronic control module. Now what what happens is that this ECU has the ability to talk to the engine? The engine talks back to the ECU, and the ECU talks to different aspects of the farm equipment, and the farm equipment talks back to it. How does it talk? It talks through sensors, all right? So a sensor takes a mechanic, and I don't care whether it's your combine, or whether it's your grain elevator, or your boiler in your house. A sensor takes a mechanical state and converts it to a voltage because an ECU speaks electricity. It doesn't understand anything else. It doesn't understand the rotor speed on a combine, but it understands what a certain sine wave coming off that sensor is. So now we have this, this conversation going back and forth. And then what's happening is that this conversation is presented through some through a tool that people are asking for which as you said is available and it's and it's identified as serial data s e r i a l it's serial data and because what it does is it speaks for the most part it speaks in a digital language and what this tool does, in the industry it's called the scan tool, it takes this serial data and it knows if you're working on a John Deere combine that this is the, this is the, this, the data stream that the first thing is rotor speed, the second thing is cool and temperature, what have you, are making things up. If you go to a case combine or you go to a Ford pickup truck, the data is there, but it may be presented in a different order, and that's what this tool does. So the first thing, number one, is that we have this serial data stream. The fallacy, like you were saying, a lot of misinformation out there, is that people talk about codes, right? Now, within the industry, Like I said, it's no different because even you take a company like Case IH New Holland, for example, they're owned by what's no longer FCA, they're owned by Stellantis, which is a car company, right? So this logic to prove is is all automotive-based. And the thing is that so now we, we have this serial data stream, and it's going to talk. It's going to talk to this scanner. Well, without understanding the language, we do not know what it means, just like I could listen, I could sit in an airplane and listen to somebody speaking Portuguese. I have, I could hear them. I don't know what it means. So the thing is that with all of these tools, that there has to be an educational learning curve. I could go buy a CNC milling machine if I have enough money in my checkbook, and I could buy it and I could have it shipped here to my farm. I would not know how to turn it on. I would not know how to use it. So that is one thing that comes into play. The other fallacy is that you. And you would send, and respectfully, you would use the word "codes." Now within the industry, the, the term "code," you could say you write code for a microprocessor, which is actually the program. All right So in the industry, when we say it has a code all right it's a misnomer to call the calibration a code. The calibration is just like you could buy a, a, a CD or, or a cassette tape, and there's music on it. So you buy one CD and it has John Denver. You buy another CD; it has something else. The dynamics of, of so that is the calibration. So, so it's not it's not coagulated calibration. So now the misnomer is that people think that they're going to have a problem with their piece of equipment, whatever it may be, and they have a problem and it has some sort of what we would call the industry a telltale, whether it's a service engine soon light or some sort of warning light, and. And the light lights up and say, okay, this is not, this is not working properly. And it puts the machine in some sort of possibly a default strategy. Now, a default strategy is, is, is deliberately programmed into the calibration. And probably the best example of a default strategy is if a, if a tier four engine that uses SCR runs out of DEF. The DEF, the diesel exhaust fluid, is sprayed after the, the engine doesn't care about the diesel exhaust fluid. It has nothing to do with the combustion, event. it's way downstream after the combustion event. But the strategy of the, of the piece of equipment, the engine going into limp home mode, is part of the calibration to force you to want to, to fix this. Because if they didn't force you to fix it and give you poor performance, nobody would fix it. So the thing is that this calibration is there. So we, now, the people get confused. And when I listen to the news like you did or listen to read blogs or what have you, and they always find somebody who's going to say, well, if I, had the, the, if I could read the trouble codes, I could fix it. Well, <laughs> on, on a piece of diagnostic equipment or a piece of, piece of equipment that has advanced technology, advanced control strategies on it, the trouble codes 95% of the time, 99% of the time, are a circuit code. They're not telling you that the wire behind the cab of the combine, the blue wire, three feet away from the seat, hmm. a mouse aided it and it's touching <laughs> the ground, and that's right. why yeah. your, that's why your header doesn't want to go up. You know what I
0: mean? Right.
1: Yep. And, yep. And, and there's this, there's this, and I, I keep seeing this repeated dialogue, well, if I had the codes, you could fix it. Well, the codes without understanding the circuitry, the codes without a service manual or shop manual, and the codes without some sort of ability to read something, all right, to read to understand this data and maybe use an oscilloscope and use a volt meter properly, right? or use a frequency meter is going to be meaningless. It's going to, just like me buying the CNC milling machine, I do not know how to use it. So the fact of the matter is, is that if we go into something, we have to, I think that there's a false narrative being promoted by who, I have no idea, saying that you're gonna get this machine, this scanner, this tool, you're gonna have access to this. No one talks about the cost to the farmer for the access for this equipment they just say they want to have access to it well i would like to have a rogator sprayer but then i'm not going to get it for free you know what i'm saying right. so the yep. thing is that so now so we have this so we so let's say arguably we have this access now to back to back up a little bit to your point that people want to modify the engine, they want to turn up the horsepower, they want to do whatever they want to do. look, I'm a hot rod farmer. I made my living doing that. Right. <laughs> so you don't have to convince me. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, I mean it's like the country song says: there can't be a girl too pretty or an engine too a car too fast or an engine too powerful. Right. But the fact of the fact of the matter is, is that, and like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll go to the pickup truck industry, which is the auto industry. You could buy different calibrations for a diesel-powered pickup truck. All right, and you could buy this uh S C T tuner or hypertech, there's a whole handful of different companies that have these tuners for for vehicles, for vehicles, on road vehicles, that go and they and you could turn up you could turn up the power. And almost every kid that has a diesel pickup truck has done that to some extent. All right. And the thing is that and that's that's all well and good. But the but the fact of the matter is is that when as an engineer who came from the auto industry, is that when when something comes to market be a combine or be it a pickup truck or be it a car is that they only bring the power level to a certain point because they want to they want to have a safety zone just like a half ton pickup truck carry more than 1000 pounds but they want to have a safety zone and what happens is that when you go and you turn up these calibrations on anything is that depending upon the level you turn it up, you're minimizing that safety zone or actually going past that safety zone. So the thing that becomes very ugly here, and I said there is no bad guy, is that if you, and there are products right now on the market that you could take your combine or your farm tractor and independently of, of having any uh, right to repair, that you could put a... A, a, another controller in line to it that's going to trick everything and increase the power. But keep in mind is that, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm a drag racer, I'm a hot rod farmer, so there's no, I mean, that's, but keep in mind that whenever you increase the power in something, that you are basically reducing or eliminating the safety net that the manufacturer put into that engine or that drive line or that turbocharger so that it gives you an acceptable level of life. And anybody who is a tractor puller or a racer of some side knows that when you start to make power, you start to break parts. But to your point, I don't understand how, where this dialogue came from because in the auto industry 25 years ago, we had the right to repair legislation. And succinctly what happened is that engine management systems on road vehicles, on cars and pickup trucks, came out for the most part for the 1981 model year. And that was called OBD-1, which stood for On-Board Diagnostics First Generation. And, and the company that developed all of this to the highest level, which is the model that the agricultural industry uses today in the car industry, was General Motors, because they had the ability, they were the first ones, and they... I'll say invented or brought to market this ability to read a serial data stream. Back in the early 1980s if you had a Ford or if you had a Chrysler product or you had a BMW there was no data stream for you to read you could not eavesdrop on that conversation that the computer was having with the engine and back and forth and then what had happened was that for, and, and scan scan tools were available, there was no legislation that you couldn't buy it but then again you were buying a tool and you said I don't understand this, what am I looking at? You know, so the thing is, then for the 1996 model year in the auto industry, what had happened was that they came out with OBD2, which was Onboard Diagnostic second generation, and the EPA mandated that a certain a certain amount of the serial data that every manufacturer who sold a, a light duty vehicle in the United States needed to provide serial data, and they needed to use a common language. But they also mandated that they only had to identify this part and serial data. You were in a hotel and you had access to all the rooms except the, the executive suite up on the top. And that was specific to the manufacturer. Now, <clears throat> what was different back in the auto industry is that the auto repair shops lobbied for the right to repair. And the thing is that you don't see so much with the agricultural side with the independent repair farm equipment repair person is lobbying for this. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but it was not the consumer, the car owner, that was lobbying for this to the government. Now, keep in mind, in the auto industry, what drove the right to repair, the legislation of the right to repair, to give auto repair shops the ability to buy more access into this, was to give the consumer the consumer, Mrs. Jones, the ability to choose to have her car fixed at Ray's repair shop because she liked Ray, versus going back to the car dealer. And, and that's really what drove it, because the the auto repair industry as a segment did not have a lobby industry and did not vote, but the consumer. So they gave the auto repair, the federal government gave the auto repair industry the right to repair legislation all right so that they could serve the consumer it was not they didn't give a damn about the auto repair shop now what's happening in agriculture is that it seems that this is correct me if i'm wrong casey this is more driven by the end user which is the farmer or rancher, the equipment owner, then the independent repair industry? Is that analysis incorrect or is that true?
0: No, I think you're right. From what I can tell, that's that's where it's coming from.
1: All right, so so that's where it's coming from. So that makes it a little bit different because the thing is that you don't have a you know a consumer reports, you know, going and push and pushing for this. All right, so so the thing is that. But now, the question comes about is that. We get this legislation, like I said, which I'm a hundred ten percent for. We should have the right to, we should have the right to access this. And if I had an independent farm equipment repair shop, I would be pushing for this because I would not want to. No disrespect to a dealer, I would not want to have to send send a a good customer back to the dealer to fix something or to integrate with something that I could do if I had the equipment and the ability to do it. But what no one is talking about here is the learning curve. And it gets back to what I said earlier on a few minutes ago, is that there's this false narrative, this false impression that you're going to plug this thing in and it's going to tell you what's wrong. I came, came wrong. Wrong with the with the engine, the vehicle, the equipment, what have you. I came from the automotive diagnostic community, and back years ago, I would demonstrate oscilloscopes and advanced scan tools to people who wanted to get involved in that auto shops and car dealers. But the fact of the matter is, is that I used to say to them, and this was back years ago, it was thirty thousand dollars. It was big money. All right. So the thing is that I'd say, don't, don't. This is not, you know, utopia. You're not going to plug this thing in under the dashboard, and, and you're going to find out what's going on with this car. You're going to find out right. a couple code. All right, you have an engine that's misfiring. You put a oscilloscope on If you don't know how to read a scope pattern, it's just like where a oscilloscope is just like an EKG machine. If I don't know how to read an EKG machine, the guy could be having a heart attack. I don't know what the heck it's saying to me. So right. the thing is that, and I think that that's a fallacy that's here, and we're pushing this legislation, which I then again I'm for, but the fact of the matter is, let's say you, a, a farmer A goes and buys a combine. And the reason why I'm picking on a combine is because it's such a large investment and it has such a long shelf life because it's not used all year round. So he buys a combine, three, four, five, six hundred thousand, 600000 whatever number you want to say. All right, he buys his combine. And most farm equipment is covered by warranty for you in the business. How many, how
0: many years? One year, two years? Typically many a combine's a year, yeah yeah so the combined so it
1: gets good so so possibly maybe if he plans his purchase correctly, he'd get through two harvest seasons or right. almost two harvest seasons right right and then and anything that would happen that he would be that it would be covered under warranty. now, I understand the geographic distance, and I understand all of this and what have you, but the fact of the matter is is that so now we get through this year or two, so now so now he's out of warranty if he doesn 't buy an extended warranty he's out of warranty, and now he has this combined. Year two, year three, year four, year five, year six. Right, it's very conceivable that he has no problem with this combine, or no problem that would require him to interface into this serial data stream. So, if he doesn't have, so if he doesn't have any problem with this combine, all right, for for three years, four years, five years, what? What is this in, I mean, what are people thinking that on year, th- on year three when the warranty is up, they're going to spend six or $7,000 for a scan tool that they don't know how to use or $2,000 for a scan tool they don't know how to use in anticipation that on year seven they may have a code in the combine header?
0: Yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's a point that I, I want to reinforce there a little bit is, you know, our, our technicians that go out and work on this stuff, um, they plug their laptop in, and it brings up, you know, or they go out and look at the code that, that's on the screen or whatever it is that's out there. And they still have to spend time understanding the system that they're looking at and, and, and tracking down whatever that problem is. It just, all it says is, that here's a code, and it says that, you know, XYZ is, has failed. That circuit, you know, that's what I'm saying, that yeah. circuit code. They still have to go it's figure out what's making that happen. It's not like it just goes and automatically says, like you said, the blue wire three feet from the cab that the mouse chewed up. That that's what your problem. Right. Is. It doesn't say that. That's be your
1: problem. Is, that it's got a big neon light pointing to it.
0: If I <laughs> if I could say every every cuss word that was coming out of the shop, I and mean, they spent four or five or six hours trying to figure out chasing down an electrical issue on a combine because of what the code said. I mean, it points them in the right direction, but I mean, I'm, it's it's not that simple. And you've got no. To, it's not. You got these technicians that have spent. You know, a new system comes out, we'll spend 15 to 25 hours worth of just specific training on one little thing, one tiny little thing, not not the broad machine, but just this one little spectrum of that machine so they can understand okay. what it means to go out and fix it.
1: Exactly, and that's what I saw 25 years ago in the car business. Now, if you look at, you look at, look at an engine or look at a combine, we keep going back and forth the combine, mm-hmm. or, or let's go, we'll bounce back and forth between a combine and a pickup truck. All right, the thing basically is, is that if if that particular if that particular application in that circuit uses a Hall effect switch, which is a three wire switch, but it's a, people call it a sensor, but that we call the switch because it's on and off, and it produces a square wave. And I know for a fact that um, that some some John Deere combines only because I had a listener interface with me all right, use that as a turbocharger over speed sensor, all right? Uh, some of them use a sine wave, which is a two-wire sensor, but this particular, I don't remember what model it was a couple years ago. So this guy would go, on, this is a real case example, he would go into the field, he would start to harvest his, his crop, I think it was uh, he was harvesting wheat, and, uh, and the thing would go into derate, because it, it had an overspeed in the turbocharger. So the thing, and no disrespect to whoever the technician was that looked at it and what have you. So he came back and he, so he called, the, called the technician in, and, and uh, the guy said, okay, there's overspeed code on it. So what is the? What happens is that the technician was not a good technician. There's good technicians as bad technicians. Good right. farmers is bad farmers.
0: Yep. doctors like bad like doctors. Bad doctors.
1: Yep. The thing basically is that he goes and puts a sensor in it. All right. This is out of warranty. Puts a sensor in it. All right. He writes. He, he uses his laptop, which basically is just being used as a scanner. Has a certain uh, special software with a cable that interfaces, and then he erases the code. The guy goes back out to the field, and the and the um. And the uh, same thing happens. I don't know whether it took an hour or two, I don't know what, same thing happened. To make a long story short, what basically happened is that you needed to be able to use an oscilloscope to read that sensor output. The sensor output was clean, that what was happening, the combine had a high impedance ground and it was cross-talking into that wire. It was cross-talking into that wire and skewing that sensor, that signal going into the ECU. So instead of the ECU thinking that I'm uh, making up an arbitrary number, that the that, that the, com- that the uh, compressor speed on the turbocharger was 80,000 RPM, it thought it was 100,000 RPM or 120,000 RPM because of this, what they call EMI, electromotive interference. So basically, in essence... The proper protocol, and I'm sure if, he, if the technician followed the John Deere steps, he would say confirm the signal at the ECU. But to confirm the signal at the ECU for a Hall effect sensor, Hall effect switch, or, 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 or a, a sine a wave or something like that, you need to look at that as an, on an oscilloscope because you need to be able to see a visual picture of that circuit. So now we say we have the scan tool, we know where to look, we know where to look. It would be just like if you have water leaking out of, the wall, out of the wall of your house, the plumber will say, Okay, we see that there's water leaking. We know that there's a bad pipe. Lady, I got to cut a hole in your ceiling and see which pipe is leaking. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then he cuts the hole in the thing and says, Oh, geez, right, there's no water leaking over here. It's leaking in the kitchen. I thought it was about it's following the beam down. So, like I said, this is, and I'm, and I'm not implying that the farmer or anybody who wants this cannot learn this. But my question it's a rhetorical question to you. It's a rhetorical question to all listeners. Are you willing to make the financial and time investment to learn this because in the anticipation that five years from now, three years from now, two years from now, that you may have a potential problem? And as a businessman, I would say no. We had a... a, a uh, Electrolux vacuum cleaner. I love to fix stuff. You need a special tool to take the vacuum cleaner apart to access what they call the power head. I'm not going to spend time buying a $100 tool that I'm going to use one time, never maybe use it again. I said to my wife, bring it to the guy in town, let him fix it for $75. I don't want to get involved with it. So, I mean, this, this, was Electrolux a bad guy? No. Was the vacuum cleaner guy a bad guy? No. You know, was my wife a big? I know. So the thing is that you really have to identify, and, and you know, within the agricultural community, you know, do we go to school to become an agronomist, to do everything at our farm? No. Most likely, no. There are some people that are agronomists that come back to the farm. But should we have, an ag- have a knowledge of agronomy so that we could be a successful farmer? Yes. Yep. All right. But... Do we we often sublet things out in this industry? And every industry does that because it does not You 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 can't have enough knowledge or enough equipment or enough. It very quickly con- converts over from being a business model to becoming a hobby.
0: Yeah, and, exactly.
1: And hobbies, you never make money on hobby.
0: Not very often, no. No,
1: no. no. So the thing, the thing basically is that so. When I look at this, when I look at this, you know, the, the car industry is full of that, that every industry is full of that. We have advanced equipment today. We have advanced control strategies. But if you think, you know, years of well, two, three, well, last presidential election cycle, is that the Bloomberg from New York... Wanted to run for president. I don't know if you heard about this other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And he made a speech, and they asked him something about agriculture. I don't know what, who asked him, and he said it's very, very simple. All you do is you throw some seed in the ground. I don't know if you remember, <laughs> yeah, that, remember that he made. I
0: remember that. You yeah. throw
1: some seed in the ground, yeah. and then you go back and you go on vacation or whatever, and you come back a couple of months later, and you harvest it and you sell the seed, and you make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, <All> right? Well, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: you
1: know, I mean, if it was all, if it was, if it was that simple. We would all be doing it, right? We would all be making a lot of money. So the thing is that it's not that simple. I'm just afraid that, uh, because I've seen it in the car industry, people spent a lot, and and it was the, if you're an independent farm repair shop, I'm going to repeat it, that I would definitely embrace this. But if you feel that this is not your forte, or you don't want to have the, uh, you don't want to make the financial investment. You know, any, anybody who has money in a checkbook can make a financial investment. If you have enough money, you can go buy a Gulfstream jet. Doesn't mean you know how to fly it. you I'm right. saying? Exactly. So the thing yeah. basically is, is that you know, uh, the thing is, But the learning curve, and I have to honestly say, is that it is it is foundational. And doing my podcast, doing my doing doing having my website, doing the radio show doing work for years with Successful Farming on their TV show, is that, and it's no disrespect to anyone, but I would say that the majority of people in the auto repair industry and people in the agricultural or farmers and park-wise, they honestly don't even know how to properly use a voltmeter. And, I, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that with any disrespect do they have the ability to learn how to use a voltmeter? Yes. Do I have the ability to learn how to fly a Gulfstream jet? Yes. Am I willing to make a commitment to buying a Gulfstream jet, learning how to fly it, ensuring and fueling it because I want to fly the Commodity Classic? That makes no sense. Right. Unless I want to be a pilot.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So the,
1: the, the, the thing basically is, is that you know, the right to repair is wonderful. And the other thing is that even with the right to repair, and you could bear witness to this, and that's why I reference back to the auto industry, you're never going to regain, you're never going to gain full access to that piece of equipment because there's going to be proprietary things that you cannot access because the company itself, the the equipment manufacturer, in this today's litigious society, doesn't want to have the liability exactly. when you yep. do something, and then you're going to go and you're going to sue Case IH or Fent or John Deere because the thing blew up and took your arm off or caught fire or what have you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming back to the auto industry is that you could be an electrical engineer. You could, be, you could be, 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 have all the accolades in the world, $100,000 worth of diagnostic equipment. If your car, is your pickup truck, whatever car, is determined to need a reflash for the airbag, you're not going to be able to do that. They don't give you access to that. You know what I'm saying mm-hmm. because that's a safety issue, and in today's society, you know, a guy puts a calibration in his tractor, he puts it uh, to raise the horsepower. He, he blows that thing up, he throws a rod through the block. All right, he throws a rod through the block. Who is he blaming?
0: Blaming the manufacturer, he's
1: blaming who? Yeah, he's blaming the manufacturer. I got this thing, yeah. and he's over at the cafe because the car industry is the same thing, you know. Guys, I mean, and, and the thing is that you see, but what happened also is that. In the auto industry, because people were modifying cars and putting calibrations in them, which is the proper proper people with diesel they call it put codes. it. It's not codes, you're changing the calibration. Is that in the car industry for the past 25 years they put what they call a fingerprint inside the ECU. So if you go there and you re so if you have your diesel pickup truck and you go, so man, I'm going to turn the booster, I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy a, cali- uh, a They call it a tuner from super chips or some other company I'm going to put it here and, and I got 100 more horsepower well that unbeknownst to them that puts a fingerprint in the ECU and the fingerprint in the ECU is that if you blow that engine up blow that transmission you bring it back under extended warranty they read that and they said, ha-ha, buddy, you wasn't here. You reflashed this, even though you reflashed it back to the stock calibration. It puts that fingerprint in the ECU. And I personally don't know this for a fact, but I think that the agricultural community does not have a fingerprint in there yet. And, but it's, that's, they that's will. software. Yep. That, that it will, yep. and that software code. They don't need your machine to. They don't need your machine to, in, in their shop to put a fingerprint. In it. Especially with telematics today, mm-hmm. they could put a fingerprint in that. Yeah. So you're gonna. So you're gonna do this, and 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 probably at this particular point, there is no fingerprint in it because people don't have access to it. So, you, what it boils down to is that I'll make it very simplistic. That. Do I agree with you? And I'm repeating it because people, I don't want people to get a soundbite and say I disagree with it. I'm 110% behind the, giving you the opportunity for the right to repair that that door is not closed on you. There is no bad guy here. The dealership, you know, and a lot of people don't realize, and you could bear witness to this from your dealership experience, is that whether it's a car dealer or equipment dealer, if you have that franchise, the manufacturer comes to you and says that you have to have essential tools. this piece of equipment right and you know you have so the dealer has to put so let's say whatever a new combine comes out a new sprayer comes out and there's special tools for it and the same thing is with the car industry you need to buy these essential tools because the manufacturer says hey i go over there and i buy this you know four hundred thousand dollar combine and this is a special tool you need to do xyz on it that you have to have that essential tool so the dealership you I, the dealerships make make a huge investment in essential tools and sending their employees to be educated and trained on this. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is that these essential tools, for the most part, are extremely expensive.
0: Yeah, they're real and, expensive. Uh, because
1: yeah. they, they need to be designed and manufactured at very low volume. It's not an oil filter wrench. Right. So the dealership, you know, so the dealer principal looks at it and says, oh, man, whatever, you uh, know, I'm a gleaner dealer. The new S nine combine came out. I gotta buy ten thousand dollars for essential tools if I wanna sell us. You know what I'm saying? Right. And the thing basically is is that and, and you know and, and and there's an investment there and but the but anybody with money could write the check. It's what do you do with that tool and have the knowledge and then the other things afterwards. So if I were to you know, put some closure to this I agree 100%. Let's let's bring it to market, let people have access. If I was an independent farm repair facility, then I would I would I would I would explore getting involved in this aspect of the business. All right? The thing nobody is a bad guy. Nobody is a bad guy, but just know watch what you wish for. Because there is a, a price tag as far as the equipment is concerned and the learning curve. And without mm-hmm. the learning curve and without the ancillary equipment to support this, it's like having four flat tires and you got one new tire on the car. All right, you still got three flat tires and you're going nowhere. And I'm just afraid that people are going to jump on board with this. They're going to spend a lot of money in anticipation of having a problem that they may never have.
0: Right. And I would agree with you, Ray. I'm, I'm Everybody will tell you whether it's deer cnh or whoever that they're they're full support of of people having the right to repair what they've what they've what they've bought right and to your point there's that proprietary information that they want to keep the safety side of it you know uh you can you could easily turn a tractor up to make it go 50 miles an hour if you wanted to it's, that's not a far-fetched thing so those kind of things that you can that they're that they're gardened but what they're asking for what you what you just talked about the diagnostics, being able to find the diagnostics and and use diagnostic tools and the, the various things that are all that stuff's available now. It's not. I mean, there's no for years. It's, I mean, it's nothing new. They're not. They're asking for access to stuff that's fully available. I mean, you want to go buy some of these uh, pr- proprietary. Uh, Diagnostic tools like ServiceVid or something like that. I mean, there's an investment to do that. There's a, a licensing fee, just like you would if you bought Word for your computer. You know what I mean? It's the same exactly. kind of stuff. You know, it's there's no there's there's it's all available. And so I, I think I'm gonna go back to my previous point. It's not so much that they want to have access to diagnostic tools because they exist. That they want access to delete deaf, turn up those kind of that's that, that's what I'm that's that's what I'm reading between the lines. That's what I'm seeing because. It's just not true what they're saying is not available
1: no, i I agree I agree with you hundred percent, so I shake my head, and mm-hmm. then you know if people want to go and they say well I'm I want to, and I'm going to use the pickup truck because the guy who did this on his pickup truck is going to want to do this on his combine. Oh yeah. The thing basically is is that the fact of the matter is that people want to bypass a lot of these emissions emission equipment, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And the thing is that whereas 1996 was the the witching year in the car industry because of OBD2 is that you know 2007, 2010, 2012, 2013 is the emission control standards were now applied to off-road vehicles to different levels is that that became, you know, that became uh, uh, the target where people say, well, I want to go, I, I you know, I did a, a DEF delete on my pickup truck, and the fact of the matter is, is that I like it better. I want to do a DEF delete on my combine, so I want to buy this thing. But, you know... <laughs> you're coming from the engineering community, from the automotive engineering community, is that this stuff, and I'm not going to say nothing breaks and nothing goes wrong. I'm not going to say that because that would be foolish. All right. But the fact this stuff is tested, whether it's John Deere, whether it's Ford, whether it's Case IH, this stuff is tested ad nauseum. Yeah. Because no manufacturer wants to go and produce a product, all right, that sells it to a consumer, be it a car or a combine, all right, that becomes Problematic. And the thing is that, is there problems? Yes, there are. Historically, most of the time, if it's a factory-issued problem, if it's not a, a, an anomaly in an assembly, like somebody pinched a wire or something like that, or it didn't tighten a bolt, the thing is that usually it's a vendor issue. Whereas the vendor changed the specification, so you buy a new something, and all of a sudden the rear main seal starts to leak, you usually track that backwards and say, "Oh geez, you know this company, we they ordered the rear main seals from this company, and they changed the material of the rear main seal." It's not, it's not built, it's like you go into the seed dealer and say, well, you know, I want GMO, I want, I want a Roundup Ready corn, and the guy gives you this bag, and you think it's Roundup Ready, and you go in the field and spray it, and spray it with, with glyphosate, you kill it, so I thought it was Roundup Ready, so the thing basically, that usually happens, but really, in all honesty, if you were to look at it, I know that, like, DEF has been problematic for some people, alright, and things that, and, you know, in and regen, and, and regen cycles of the diesel particulate filter, but I'm not going to say it's operator error because it's not really operator error. What it is, it's maintenance error. Because the thing is that people don't recognize that those components that are giving them problem usually their, their, their use cycle or the the way they're maintaining the equipment is not falling into line for that protocol. And the thing is, that, and it's causing and it's cause it's causing a problem. And and they're stuck on. I mean, what I don't know whether it was Corn Warriors or Extreme Ag, one of these shows. Guy, and like I said, it's not impossible if you have a problem. Otherwise, the, the car dealerships and tractor dealerships wouldn't have a service department. We just send the stuff out, and they they would love to close the service department down, right? <laughs> so, uh, right. sort of thing. Basic is that. But historically, you know, if the more complexity, when I teach this, the more complexity that you bring into anything mechanically. The most simple piece of, the most simple tool, right, is an anvil, right? I might even say a hammer, because it's a hammer, you can bust a wooden handle on it, an anvil. Nothing's going to happen to an anvil, but it doesn't do much. So if you start to add all of these controls, all of these abilities into a piece of farm equipment, then, you know, in engineering we have an acronym called KISS, keep it simple, stupid. But once you start to add all to this, you can't follow the KISS acronym because... There's more chances of something to go wrong because it has more capabilities, but historically, these you know what has happened is that the operator of the equipment doesn't realize that all of these new machines are wonderful. I don't care what brand it is; these new engines and cars and pickup trucks are wonderful. Do some of them have some idiosyncrasies? Yes, but they are very, very maintenance sensitive. They're not the anvil. You can't say, "Well, I had my my grandpa had the old JD forty twenty, or I had an old case combine with a slant six Chrysler." They're very maintenance sensitive. They're very they need to be maintained properly on time. They're very sensitive to the fluids that go in them. If you're the type of person says, "Well, I'm going to use just one oil and everything, and then one hydraulic fluid, everything," and you know, and years ago, what people don't realize is that as an engineer, you designed piece of equipment or the engine or hydraulic system around the fluid that was available on the market we changed that now reverse and that's why we're getting such performance out of these things because we're not telling the engineer that you have to design this engine to use green antifreeze they're designing the engine the way they want it for the most performance, and they're saying to the chemical industry, we need an a coolant, an antifreeze, that's going to work with these materials inside my engine. And that's why when you look, there's, there's five or six of different antifreeze. There's different hydraulic fluids. All right, you know, John Deere hydraulic fluid versus Case hydraulic fluid versus Fent hydraulic fluid, the core component of it is going to be the same. Yes, it's a petroleum distillate, but the additive package is going to be specific to that brand, and when it comes to like emission strategies, people, you know, the best thing that you know, if you if you don't want to have problem with regens and everything, additize your diesel fuel. And I said that more on your show before. You don't need to take the system and throw it in the garbage. Aditize your diesel fuel because the combustion event, the cleanliness of that combustion event, is going to impact how that regen cycle is and how often it's going to happen. So if you if you want to write to repair, so that you could. And spend six or seven thousand dollars to try to shut something off all right and then to shut this 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 tier four emissions package off you could just buy spend a hundred dollars a year for diesel additive and and use the right oil and you're not gonna have any problem with it
0: right yeah well good stuff ray man this is uh this is a hot button issue there's there's a million ways to, to look at this and um it's definitely, especially with what you know, Joe Biden did with, with the executive orders and those kind of things, that it's going to continue to heat up as the, uh, as the summer goes on and, and well into the, uh, into the next uh, legislative year. So, Ray, if folks want to reach out to you and just get more information about what it is you do, what's the best way for folks to do that?
1: Well, if they want to reach me personally, it's my, my email, hockrodfarmer at com. Well, the best thing is just go to my website, and it's farmmachinerydigest.com. In my podcast is over 100 technical articles there. There's road tests of vehicles there that were farmer-specific road tests. There's a lot of information there. Uh, it's a quick, easy read, and I welcome, you know, welcome people coming to it. It's an educational product. It's meant to have a transfer of knowledge to the agricultural community where my heart and my passion is.
0: Right on. And when does your Farm Machinery Digest radio show on XM? When, what what time does it air?
1: It's Saturday at eleven a.m. Eastern. All of their time zones are Eastern, and it was and it's a replay, what they call an encore. Mm-hmm. Sunday at six p.m. Eastern.
0: So right on. Is that on? Sunday is that on their own? Sorry, is that on their on-demand feature as well that they can go back and look at past episodes?
1: Uh I know on your, I believe that it is I, I honestly I'm naive to that I know if I listen to it online or whatever I could go back 1 hour but I it, it, I'm sure if rural radio was on it has that feature then yes then it would be but that's a good question to ask me because uh I really I'm not that I'm not that familiar with it. but hey you know you are you were on it yesterday
0: yeah, and I missed it, man. I was out cutting trees, and I couldn't get get away. You were cutting away. trees. I was I'll have to send. I'll
1: have to send you the. Uh, uh, I didn't. I, I spoke about your 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 moving iron podcast. Not that I was going to be on it, but your moving iron podcast. So I think you do a great service for the industry, and it's a great resource. And I would love for my audience to be able to connect with you there because it's. Uh, you know, you need you need all different tools in your toolbox, and you know. I'm the, I'm the engine guy, I'm the theory guy, the mechanical guy, but you're the business guy. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I appreciate and, that.
1: And success on the farmer ranch means you need to be hitting in all cylinders, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can absolutely. have
1: the best crop yields. If you don't know how to market it, you're going out of business. You mm-hmm. have the best crop yields, you know how to market it, you get good money, but you blow up all your equipment and you're out of business, right? Yep, so, yep. So it's a, it's a three-legged stool, but I absolutely. thank you so much for connecting with your audience and... Uh, and um, and I think it's, and like I say, no one's a bad guy. In today's world, the news tries to make people a bad guy. No one is a bad guy, you know. Yep. But, to, but just make sure that you know, before you write a check for a piece of diagnostic equipment, make sure you know what you're writing your check for.
0: Absolutely. You know? No, that's good stuff. Well, Ray, thanks for being on the podcast, man.
1: Thank you so much. You have a blessed day. You take care. Bye-bye.
0: All right, we'll see you. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. And also go to movingironllc.com. That's where you're going to find the entire library of the Moving Iron Podcast as well as any blogs I've written. They'll be there as well. Uh, Check out the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee. That is going to be uh, September 15th through the 17th at the Renaissance uh, Hotel downtown there. Uh, All the information that you need will be in the uh, Moving Iron Summit section of the navigation tab. Click that. All the agendas. Um, hotel information, registration information, speaker information, all that stuff's there. So if you're interested in doing that and you're a dealer and you want to come to that, make sure you check that out. If you need more information, send me an email at Podcast movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I'll be sure to get back to you with whatever information you need. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Ray Boax. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, There's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer,